Hey, welcome to, to Talking MMT on Friday. Uh, still uh, uh, reading from the Deficit Myth by Stephanie Delton on page 179, and I've gotten to how we should talk about entitlements. By now, I hope you, you're convinced that we've been thinking and talking about entitlements all wrong. And while I've focused on the U.S. in this chapter, this misguided thinking has also hurt a lot of people around the world. It has led to cuts in vital special or social programs, rather, such as the National Health Service, or NHS, and the United Kingdom is critically underfunded pensions in Japan. In these and other countries, the deficit myth has deprived people of improved public service because governments are convinced that they don't have the money to sustain program programs that care for the for their people. That set, that doesn't just force misery on the people who lives uh, whose lives rather would otherwise be improved by these programs. It hurts us all. Uh, well, it hurts us. Uh, hurts all of us. Is the actual term terminology. Um, our social safety nets strengthen our social bonds with one another and help to support the economy as a whole. Just think about all the grocery uh, cashiers, truck drivers, and shopkeepers, and others whose jobs depend on, depend at least partly on people spending their entitlement benefits in communities all around the country. That's one reason for rhetoric around these programs is so misguided. The federal government shouldn't try to manage its budget like a family sitting around the dinner table. We don't need to tighten our belts with shared sacrifices and fiscal restraints. You ever notice how some people use the phrase share and sacrifice and somebody else will do, be doing all the sacrificing? So how should we talk about entitlements? The most important thing to remember is that there, there are three distinct issues and we must keep them separate whenever we talk about programs like Social Security and Medicare. Those issues are, one, the government's financial ability to pay, two, the legal authority to pay benefits, and three, our economics, uh, economy's productive capacity to deliver real program benefits. As we, as, as we have learned, MMT emphasizes the role of the government as the issuer of the currency. For countries like the U.S., the U.K., and Japan, the government's financial ability to pay can never be in doubt. That's good news because it means that citizens should never be forced to suffer harsh austerity on the grounds that the government lacks the ability to pay for health care or to pay benefits to retirees or the disabled. But that does not mean that there is no limit limits to what these governments can, uh, can responsibly afford to spend. Funding even more generous endowment programs could push the economy beyond its real resources constraints, i.e. full employment, fueling inflation, which is a harmful which is harmful to all. This is a critical part of the messaging that is almost completely absent from our contemporary debates. I'll never forget the time I had heard I, I heard someone with a lot of clout try to explain this uh, this to a member of Congress. It was a remarkable moment that took place on the, on the floor of the House of Representatives. It began with a question from Paul Ryan, the now retired Speaker of the House of Representatives. Ryan was a self-professed deficit hawk who spent much of his time in Congress trying to privatize Social Security. 
He repeatedly urged lawmakers to join him in turning it from a guaranteed retirement program into a system of privatized personal retirement accounts that were that would put Wall Street money uh, money managers in charge of workers' retirement income. For years, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan made speeches and appeared on television pitching his privatization scheme like a seasoned salesman. He talked up the benefits of choice and freedom, claiming there were there was an urgent need to act before the current system collapses under the weight of unsustainable financial commitments. One day in 2015, Ryan decided to promote his scheme before a special congressional witness. After laying out his position regarding the so-called financial crisis based on Social Security, Ryan asked the witness whether he agreed with, the, with that assessment. As the witness began to answer the question, Ryan's face lost all color. It wasn't the answer Ryan was looking for. I did, however, separate separate two of the most important issues regarding entitlements of the government's financial ability to pay and our economy's productive capacity to deliver promised real, uh, promised real benefits. The witness was Alan Greenspan. As many readers will know, Greenspan was chairman of the Federal Reserve from 87 in 2006. Appointed by Reagan, Greenspan was hardly what you would call a progressive. Teeing up a question about the need to deal with entitlements with the Fed chair must have seemed like a safe move. Ryan almost certainly assumed that Greenspan, a fellow libertarian, would agree that Social Security's financing was unsustainable and that moving to a system of personal retirement accounts was a good idea. So, Rand lobbied, lobbed, excuse me, lobbed Greenspan the following softball question, expecting him to dutiful and knock it out of the park. Having personal retirement account is another way of making a future retiree's benefits more secure for their retirement, Ryan asserted, before putting his lengthy, rather tortured question to Greenspan. Do you believe personal retirement accounts as a component to a system of solvency does help improve solvency because when you have a personal retirement account policy, if it is accompanied with a benefit offset with that feature in place, do you believe that the personal retirement account can help us achieve solvency for the system and make these future retiree benefits more secure? But simply, Ryan was asking Greenspan whether he agreed that Social Security was in financial trouble and that moving to a system of private Wall Street managed retirement accounts would help address the crisis. To his credit, Greenspan didn't swing at that pitch. Instead, he leaned forward uh, in the microphone and said, Ryan, and told, and told Ryan something that shocked him, the truth. Greenspan started by dismissing the entire premise behind Ryan's question. I wouldn't say that the pay-as-you-go benefits are insecure, he said, and it says that there is nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. Let that, let that last link, line sink in, soak in. <clears throat> there is nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. It was exactly the right response, and it undermined Ryan's entire premise about government's financial ability to pay. Uncle Sam can always pay. That was Greenspan's point. Because when it comes to federal government's financial capacity to pay benefits, 
money is no object. As chairman of the Federal Reserve Greenspan knew that the Fed would clear any payment that had been authorized by Congress, just as MMT shows. All Congress had to do was commit to funding the program and the money would always be there. Ironically, Greenspan never pointed any of this out when he shared the commission that cut Social Security benefits in 83. Back then, he accepted the premise that Social Security was facing as, sorry, facing an, 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 an damn, inescapable, there we go, funding shortfall. Uh, I have a problem with linking the two words. Anyway, uh, in response to Greenspan, the commission rebalanced. Social Security's finances by gradually raising the retirement age and increasing payroll taxes provide advanced funding to cover future payments. The entire motivation for these changes were rooted in the faulty belief that the only way to keep Social Security afloat was to devise a plan to generate enough tax revenue to cover promised benefits. The truth is, none of the benefits, uh, benefit cuts or other changes recommended by the Greenspan Commission was necessary to preserve the program, and Greenspan should always know, should always have known that, but Greenspan got it right when he answered Brian that day, and he didn't stop there. The second part of his response was even better. It zeroed in on one of the other key issues we should be talking about. The relevant question wasn't the one Ryan asked. Instead, it was it, instead of the talking about the program's finances, Greenspan told Ryan the issue he should be be thinking was, about was how do you set up a system which assures that the real assets are created, which those benefits are are employed to purchase. In other words, we are going and we are aging society. Millions of people who are currently working to produce the real goods and services that we all need to survive will be leaving the work workforce and heading into retirement. As a result, programs like Social Security and Medicare will be serving more and more Americans in the years ahead. When we think about entitlements, we should be thinking about how to make sure our economy will remain productive enough to supply the, uh, the material goods healthcare and consumption goods that it, that it will take to provide for the needs of future beneficiaries. I'm not sure Ryan fully appreciated Greenspan's point. When we talk about whether entitlements are sustainable, we need to think in terms of our uh, economy's real productive capacity. We need to think We need to think about how the economy will absorb those dollars, not where those dollars will come from. Coming up with the money to pay benefits is easy. Is the easy part. The real challenge involves managing any inflationary pressures that might arise as that, that money gets spent into the real economy. No wonder Ryan was surprised. In other settings, Greenspan often spoke as if the major challenge facing Social Security was its financial viability. But on that day, responding while under oath, there you go. While under oath, the U.S. Capitol, uh, Alan Greenspan told the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Social Security will be fine as long as the government's commitment to paying promised benefits. It's not easy to find experts who are willing to speak so honestly about the fact that the, the fact that the so-called crisis facing Social Security is a man-made political problem and not a financial one. I first came to understanding this in 98 after reading an article 
uh, called Save uh, Social Security from Miss Saviors. It was written by Northwest Northwestern uh, economics professor Robert Eisner, a pioneering, uh, pioneering, respected, and truly courageous voice in the world of economics. Eisner was fearless, and he was one of the first to see through the Social Security depths and myths. He was unafraid to call out anyone left or right who misdiagnosed the problem. Much like Greenspan, Eisner rejected the idea that Social Security was becoming financially unaffordable, he wrote. Social Security faces no crisis now or in the future. It will not go bankrupt. It will be, it will be there not only for those of us now enjoying it or looking forward to it in the near future, but, the, but for the baby boomers and the, genera the generation experts following them, all this is true as long as who would as long as all this is true as long as those who would nibble away at social security or destroy it in the name of privatization do not have their political way. But they very likely will not since the elderly and their children vote and will vote sensibly as the full implications of the issue become apparent. Eisner's article focused on the other important issue we need to keep in mind when talking about Social Security and other, and other entitlements, that is the self-imposed rules that constrain the government's legal authority to pay certain benefits. Like Greenspan, Eisner understood that the federal government has always the, uh, the financial ability to pay promised benefits. It is a legal authority to pay benefits that is muddying the waters and making it appear that problems the programs like Social Security are going broke. Eisner, Eisner's article was a, blame, a brilliant attempt to provide a clear picture of the issues that matter and those that don't. While nearly every politician is obsessed with the long-range projections that show the eventual depletion of Social Security's trust funds, Eisner reminded us that these trust funds are merely accountable uh, accounting entities and that maintaining positive balance on uh, OC and DI doesn't actually, doesn't actually alter the government's financial ability to pay benefits. Keeping the trust funds loaded up with enough positive spreadsheet entries maintains the legal authority to pay benefits that Social Security would be perfectly viable with, with or without these accounting entries. As long as Congress was committed to pay, making payments as Eisner put it, the accountants can just as well declare the bottom line of the funds, accounting negative as positive, and the Treasury can go on making whatever outlays they are prescri uh, prescribed by law. The Treasury can pay out all the Social Security provide provides while the accountants declare the funds more and more in the red. Wait a minute, am I telling you that a wide, widely respected professor of economics thought that solutions to the crisis facing Social Security uh, was the Congress and for was for Congress to simply commit to making the payments regardless of the balance in the Social Security trust funds? Well, yeah. After all, that's exactly how, how it already works with SMI. You and I could never run out our benefit uh, finances that way, but that's because we're currency users, not issuers of the currency like Uncle Sam. Eisner understood that. Unlike the rest of us, our government and its treasury will not, indeed, cannot be go bankrupt, Eisner explained.
His message was basically stop fretting over projected draw, uh, drawdown on some ledger and just keep your promise. After all, people are legally entitled to their benefits under law. If it's really that easy to keep Social Security running smoothly, why are Democrats and Republicans always fighting over the program's finances? Why is it that almost everyone is focused on cutting benefits or raising taxes as a way to shore up the system? Why isn't there a local uh, group of experts weighing in to calm the water, waters the way Eisner, who died in 98, accepted? According to Barry Anderson, the top uh, civil a civil servant in the White House Office of Management and Budget, or OMB. Very few, if any, of the academics or analysts who comment on Social Security have gut and have the guts, or perhaps the knowledge to recognize this fundamental fact. For those who lack either the courage or the knowledge to champion the simple solutions, just grant OASI and DI the same legal authorities authorities that already given to SMI. Eisner offered another way forward. It was nothing more than an accountable uh, an accounting trick, but it would, but it would present prevent excuse me Social Security from ever facing cuts due to its sufficient trust fund balances. With enough accounting entries, the trust would report a healthy, long-range outlook. The, local, the legal authority to pay benefits would remain intact and the perceived crisis would disappear. It wasn't his preferred solution, but it added more numbers to the ledger will make everyone sleep better. Eisner showed that there are any number of simple, painless remedies for this accounting problem. While Democrats often focus on ways to beef up the, tr the trust funds by increasing the payroll tax, subjecting non-wage income to payroll tax withholdings or lifting the cap so that all wage income is subject to FICO withholdings, Eisner showed that there was a more painless solution. Since the trust fund comprised almost entirely non-marketable interest-bearing government bonds, why not make sure those bonds Paying enough interest to keep the trust fund balanced as long as, as large as necessary to satisfy the accountants. If the bonds paid out 25, 50, or 100 percent interest, the trust fund balance would explode and the whole problem would disappear forever. It's obviously an accountant tri accounting trick, but Eisner didn't care. He was just showing lawmakers that there was an easy way to protect the program from facing cuts due to its efficient trust fund balance. After all, he wrote, it wasn't it was not God, but Congress and the Treasury that determined the interest rate to be credited on the non negotiable Treasury notes of the fund balances. The important thing to understand is that from Eisner's point of view, find filling the trust funds with as much money as needed is both incredibly simple and entirely unnecessary. Since Eisner's time, a few economists outside the MMP community have challenged the conventional narrative along similar lines. Although MMP didn't exist when Eisner published his paper, his main argument was entirely compatible with the MMT viewpoint. He knew that the currency issuer could always insert the spreadsheet entries 
that would keep the program in good accounting health. We need to talk about entitlement with the understanding that MFT provides. Ultimately, the debate should stay centered on our priorities, our values, and our productive capacity to care for our people. MFT gives us the lens we need to give an intelligent debate. Greenspan was concerned about the de demographic changes that are leaving the U.S. with a smaller number of workers to produce our national input. Or, sorry, output. The dependency ratio is a legitimate concern here, not because there, there won't be enough money, but because we might struggle to make enough of the real goods and services that, would, that the people will want and need in the coming years. Greenspan understood that it's not enough to pay monetary benefits to future retirees. The value of that money matters too. The guard, the number two guard, I guess the age-old inflation problem of too much money chasing too few goods. We need an economy that is productive enough to supply the mix of goods and services. We'll need how we do. We'll need how we do that. First, we must decide what our priorities are. Polling suggests that entitlements rank high on our list of social goals. Second, we should think about how to achieve them, while at the same time, make sure make sure our economy is productive enough to meet them without causing inflation. Take retirement. Most of us would, would probably agree that a system that provides financial security for retired people is a good thing. We want a society that doesn't turn its back on seniors after they move out of the labor force. Social Security and Medicare are there to help ensure that people have basic protections as they enter a phase of life that isn't oriented around employment. They exist because we want people to be able to get the medical care they need and have the security of a stable income supplement so they can afford to live a decent life. The federal government spent $1 trillion on health programs in 2017. Three-fifths of that was spent on Americans, uh, America's largest federal health insurance program, Medicare. The rest was spent on Medicaid, child, child, children's care, excuse me, and premium, uh, premium subsidies for the Affordable Care Act. Another $945 billion was paid out into the form of Social Security benefits to the elderly, their dependents, and the disabled. All told, these so-called entitlement programs cost nearly $2 trillion, or roughly half of the entire federal budget. Those are big numbers, but as we've learned, that's all they are numbers. We can, we can afford it. But what about our real resources? Record numbers of baby boomers between, uh, born between 46 and 64 are leaving the workforce over the next 18 years, an average of 10,000 Americans will turn 65 every day. Many will continue to work for a few more years, but all of them will uh, become eligible for Medicare as long as they turn 65. By 2030, for the first time in, in this history, the U.S. will have more people 65 and older than children under the age of 18. Boomers will make up one-fifth of the population. We need to prepare, be prepared, age 70-year-old uh, consumers more health care and less child care than a 35-year-old. That means that the economy will need to produce more of, the, of some things and less of other things, and that sent uh, an 
absent a surprise increase in the size of our future labor force. Uh, like another baby boomer, a baby boom or a new influx of immigrants will have to meet those needs with a shrinking workforce. We should start preparing now. We need to train more doctors and nurses, build more assisted living housing, and invest in infrastructure, education, and research and development, including automotive automation. Excuse me. With the right investments, we can boost our economy's long-run uh, productive capacity and avoid the, the infl infl inflationary excuse me, pressures that could result from increased comp competition over a dwindling support, uh, supply of goods and services. MMT doesn't pr pretend that the government's uh, currency issuing power gives it the ability to do whatever it wants. Instead, we focus attention on the real limits we face so we can find the best possible solutions that's the way the debate should work, by making real-world decisions based on real-world resources. The proposals to cut entitlements strike me as inhumane. Maybe you feel the same way. The elderly, the disabled, and the poor are entitled to decent lives and financial security because they're human and not because it's some trust fund says there, there's enough money to care for them. These programs and the values that they represent should be part of the fabric of our society. But even if, the, even if you disagree with, them, with me, we should have that conversation with a proper understanding of, of government finances. Um, uh, when, we, okay. when we look to the future and think about how best to meet our needs, we should stop asking the question, how we will pay for it and start asking how will we resource it. We do not live in a perfect world. Our real resources aren't infinite. If we want to do something to make our lives better, provide medical care for all, or ensure that everyone can retire with financial security, or protect every citizen from poverty, there will be times when we have to choose between these and other goals. We need to prepare today by investing in those things that can make us productive enough to meet our goals without causing inflation. Everything that helps us do that, including automation, better infrastructure, access to education, research and development, or improving improvements in public health is a smart investment in the future. We could afford our retirement programs after the, war, after the Civil War. We can afford them in the 20th century, and we can afford them now. The war on entitlements is rooted in uh, outmoded thinking about the nature of money and the real purpose of taxation. It prevents us from having a deeper debate about our priorities, the kind of society we will live in, we want to live in, and resources needed to build, build it. Our big challenge isn't cost, it's making sure that our economy is producing the right, uh, right output mix over the coming decades. The problem isn't the lack of bits and uh, bytes and bits on some electronic spreadsheet. The problem is the lack of vision. There are many ways to improve life for all of us, even in a world of limited resources, if we're smart enough to imagine them and brave enough to try. And that's the end of that, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6. Uh, next is chapter 7, the deficits that, that matter. Uh, 
So join me for that uh, Monday. Um, I'd like to thank you for uh, listening. I hope you decide to subscribe uh, just for a dollar a month. Um, you can also get uh, what I will be doing uh, later on in uh, a couple hours, and that is uh, talking financially. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. Um, if you decide uh, to forego later on, I hope you have a good evening, a good weekend, and I hope you keep wearing those masks. But if you do decide to uh, listen later on, I will talk to you later on. Uh, thanks for listening, and peace out for now.